Welcome to Mutual Aid, a podcast produced by the South Carolina Sheriff's Association to help sheriffs better serve and protect South Carolina citizens. I am Jared Bruder, Executive Director of the South Carolina Sheriff's Association, and I'll be your host for today's episode. This podcast is brought to you today by Gunbusters Southeast. Gunbusters is committed to providing law enforcement agencies with safe, simple, and secure methods to destroy firearms. The patented, ATF-approved destruction process is video recorded so agencies can maintain the chain of custody for each firearm through the destruction process. To learn more, please visit www.gunbustersusa.com or call Mac Gwynn at 1-844-486-2878. Gunbusters is the industry leader for firearms destruction, so call them today. Hello and welcome back to Mutual Aid. We've taken a few months off from the podcast, but we're excited to be back and we'll be providing a lot more content in the coming weeks and months. As a reminder, this podcast is intended to help sheriffs better serve and protect their constituents. It is our intent to share good ideas with sheriffs statewide that will hopefully enhance and advance sheriff's offices around the state. Today, we're going to be discussing a public policy change that is set to take effect in South Carolina on August 15th, 2021 just about 15 days or so away from now. Uh, earlier this year, the South Carolina General Assembly passed House Bill 3094, which is commonly known as the Open Carry with Training Act. Uh, then on May 17, 2021, Governor McMaster signed this legislation into law. Uh, the majority of the legislation, however, of uh, House Bill 3094, which is also known as Act 66, uh, had a 90-day window, a 90-day uh, delay in, a, in its enactment. So uh, it does not become effective until August 15th of 2021. So this piece of legislation will usher in several, piece, uh, several changes to South Carolina's public policy on guns or concealed carry. Probably the biggest change that we will see is uh, the public will see the ability for individuals who possess a valid concealed weapon permit from South Carolina or from a state that has uh, reciprocity with South Carolina, they will be able to carry a handgun, open or concealed, so long as they abide by South Carolina's laws and regulations pertaining to handguns and carrying of firearms. Uh, This will likely be a cultural change for several communities throughout the state, as it has traditionally been unlawful for civilians to openly carry a handgun unless they are hunting or on private property. you know, this has been something that people said we're simply trying to address the unintentional uh, concealed weapon holder from uh, being punished for what he does there. This actually goes much further, though. You can carry openly uh, and, and still be lawful. Uh, so law enforcement officers will certainly experience a change once this becomes effective. Additionally, sheriffs can reasonably expect to experience an increase in man with a gun calls uh, once this law becomes effective. So especially... Uh, we're going to see that until the public becomes accustomed to this new law. A lot of people uh, may not have seen that law change, and so August 15th may be a little bit of a uh, game changer for some folks, but they have to understand that that is the new law in South Carolina. So to help us understand how sheriff's offices in the state are preparing for this shift, I've invited a couple of special guests to participate in today's discussion. I'm excited to have Major Mike Nunn of the Florence County Sheriff's Office with us and Ms. Kathy Ward of the Sumter County Sheriff's Office with us as well. 
I call on these two people all the time. I probably burn their phones up more often than they uh, want me to, but I do call them all the time. And part of the reason why is because they're both attorneys who work directly for their respective sheriffs. And so with them being attorneys, I need to, I guess, put a disclaimer out there that uh, nothing shared in this podcast today should be interpreted to be legal advice. We are simply discussing what two sheriff's offices are doing to prepare for this policy shift in our state. Uh, anybody who is listening to this, if you're um, an agency head, you should consult with your own attorney before acting on any of these matters. So uh, now that I got that out of the way, Kathy, thank you for being here with us. Uh, please introduce yourself, if you will, to our listeners. Good morning. Um, I'm Kathy Ward. As, as Jared said, I'm general counsel for the Sumter County Sheriff's Office. I've been doing this um, pretty close to 11 years now. Uh, Jared, thank you for the opportunity to join you and Mike. I, I rely on both of you heavily all the time, and I'm always honored, of course, to have an opportunity to talk with our other sheriff's offices around the state um, about matters that affect law enforcement in our state. So thanks for allowing me to join you this morning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, I call you all the time and, and we try to bounce ideas off of each other. But Mike, another one, uh, Major Mike Nunn uh, there in Florence County. Uh, introduce yourself to our listeners, if you will. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm Major Mike Nunn with Florence County Sheriff's Office. Uh, I've been a practicing attorney for uh, going on 40 years now. And uh, the last uh, 12 of which have been with the uh, Florence County Sheriff's Office. I'm also a concealed weapons uh, permit uh instructor and firearms instructor 40 years there ain't no way you've been doing law for 40 years mike you don't look 30 come on man uh i hear you okay so we've got this law that's been passed uh you know we've been involved with the legislative process but now it's been passed and uh there are several things that were included in this statute um one of which was for sled to update the curriculum and cwp holders uh, or for CWP holders, and so they they have done that. They were also tasked with creating um, some guidance or some training for law enforcement. Uh, so they have done that. Sled in conjunction with the Criminal Justice Academy and the State Attorney General's Office, they developed and distributed guidance for law enforcement officers. Uh, it's about a nine-minute video. I, I think y'all may have seen it by now, but um, pretty good video that they put out there, just kind of touching on what this new law does for everybody. And, and actually the law enforcement training council voted last week to make that unit or voted unanimously to require all law enforcement officers to receive that training before August the 15th. So um, this video kind of focuses on how law enforcement can interact with the public with this new law in place. So essentially here's, here's what this new law means for law enforcement officers without reasonable suspicion a law enforcement officer can approach and ask general questions and offer help or assistance, but the individual that they approach does not have to respond to the officer and can respond in any manner he or she chooses. So in other words, they can tell you to go pack sand and you can't do anything about it. Uh, the officer cannot detain or arrest someone without reasonable suspicion of criminal conduct and merely being in possession of that weapon is not enough to be reasonable suspicion. Uh, with, reasonable, with reasonable, articulable, and particularized suspicion, the permit holder must inform a law enforcement officer that they have a permit and that the permit holder must present the permit to the law enforcement officer upon request. Kathy, I'm going to turn to you first. What the heck does that mean? 
Uh, why is this a big shift for law enforcement officers and, and what are y'all doing at the Sumter County Sheriff's Office to get ready for this new statute? Well, I, I think the, the most open, excuse the, the pun, and obvious reason for the shift is because for so long, if, if we as a, a, as a citizen or as, an, as a law enforcement officer see somebody walking around with a, with a visible handgun, that sets off alarm bells because it's a it's a clear and blatant violation of the law, um, and so the mindset has to change. That the the carrying of a handgun in and of itself, even if you're walking down the middle of Main Street or, or walking through a neighborhood, while it may be alarming initially to residents and as and to law enforcement as well, we have to change our mindset. We have to train ourselves that. That in and of itself is not an illegal activity. We've already begun some training. We've had discussions, I think, with our division commanders and our shift lieutenants um, regarding the open carry law. We began last night by doing just sort of a public presentation to our Citizens Advisory Board Committee. Um, I think that was that was broadcast live on Facebook, and we had several participants in that. Uh, the sheriff may want to make that presentation available to members of the community at large as we go forward over the next couple of weeks. We will be doing some additional training with our law enforcement officers. Um, I think many of them, if not most of them by now, have watched the nine-minute video that shows the uh, two or three scenarios about approaching someone and asking for a permit. Um, so really, we just have to change the mindset and, and remain calm and urge um, all the folks in our community to remain calm as well. Okay. Uh, Mike, I'm going to kind of turn it over to you and ask you the same question. What is Florence County doing to get ready for this and prepare both your officers and the public for this new statute? Well, of course, all of our officers have received the uh, video from the Criminal Justice Academy on the nine minute training and certainly that was very well done and I think uh, explained uh, pretty well uh, the parameters that we're looking at moving forward. Uh, I agree with Kathy, the, the, it's a huge cultural shift that the public is simply going to have to um, come to grips with the fact that they're going to start seeing uh, the open carrying of handguns in places where they've really never seen it before by ordinary citizens instead of law enforcement. In the checkout line, food line, or uh, in some other place, you're going to see uh, people open carrying the firearms. And, um, you know, it, it, it's something that uh, we're just going to have to get used to. Forty-five some odd other states have some version of open carry. They seem to uh, be able to navigate that pretty well uh, with training and, and public awareness. Uh, I don't know of any reason why South Carolinians aren't going to be able to do that as well. Um, obviously, we're going to be conducting additional training with our officers beyond that which the uh, Criminal Justice Academy put out, but it'll be very similar to that. Um, but we're also going to host uh, a couple of uh, open community forums uh, prior to the uh, effective date of the legislation to 
give the public a, an awareness of what's getting ready to happen and the fact that they will be getting ready to see um, a change in how people carry guns in this state. Um, one thing we're encountering right now is that there's a perception out there that without a permit on August the 15th, people will be able to carry uh, open handguns. And that's simply not true. Uh, it, it, you must have that permit or the open carry exception does not apply to you. So we've got our work cut out for us to uh, educate the public, um, hopefully make them more comfortable with this process and uh, uh, establish our learning curve and, and get beyond it. Yeah. After that, certainly we hope that um, things will, will calm down and, and people become more comfortable. Some of that's going to depend on the manner in which some of the folks carrying open conduct themselves. Right, if they're right. respectful and, and sensitive to the concerns of others, chances are this could go well. Right. And and Mike, you touched on something there that um, that I want to come back to and, and distinguish the difference between uh, what's been called constitutional carry or uh, constitutional carry versus open carry with training. And, and I'll get to that in just a second. But um, like you said, I mean, other states have done this. I believe uh, during the debates, we, it was said that South Carolina is one of five states that, is not, that does not have any form of open carry of a handgun, which, uh, you know, arguably we do. It was already lawful for somebody to carry a handgun on them while they were going um, hunting or if they were on private property or those types of things. But, but this certainly takes it the next step forward. We are different, though, from somewhere like North Carolina, because North Carolina, you actually have to have a concealed weapons permit to carry concealed, but anybody could carry openly uh, on the person, and they actually preferred it that way in North Carolina. So it, it really is kind of a, a shift. But again, it is just for those individuals that have the CWP, the concealed weapons permit, or have reciprocity with CWP. Uh, in South Carolina, we're getting, I believe we're over 500,000 people in the state uh, right there at it that have a concealed weapons permit. So it's a lot of people out there that have these uh, that have the CWP, but that doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to be showing up on every street corner. Um, but it may. And we just got to be prepared for that, especially as law enforcement officers uh, or as the community is embracing this. Not only do law enforcement officers need to be aware, but. Uh, the telecommunicator officers need to be aware of this stuff that when when they get a call from the public on 911 saying there's a man with a gun, uh, that may just be an, an individual walking his dog. Um, you know, it, it, there's there's not necessarily anything illegal about that. But circling back, you, you did distinguish uh, or you, you, you mentioned the constitutional carry, which that legislation also uh, moved. It passed out of the House to the Senate this year, but did not move. Uh, it did not get amended on these uh, bills that went forward. So, so this is just for the CWP. The constitutional carry essentially says that the Constitution is the permit uh, that you can carry open or concealed uh, with or without a permit as long as you can lawfully be in possession. That That is not what passed. That is a, a big distinction. I certainly feel like uh, other groups are going to be coming back and pushing the General Assembly to get to that. Uh, but South Carolina is kind of an incrementalism state. We either do things very quickly after a crisis or we tend to do things uh, bit by bit um, as we move along. But um, so, Mike, I, I want to come back and, and kind of drill down a little bit on maybe one of those scenarios. Let's let's say that uh, you're you've got a deputy there in Florence County. 
uh, pulls someone over for a traffic violation. Uh, in the course of their work, the officer discovers that they have a CWP in his possession and a handgun in his possession. Uh, what are you telling your deputies to do? Are you telling them to separate the individual from the gun? Or are you telling them just to leave it where it is? What does this look like in Florence? Well, um, of course, every uh, situation turns on its own peculiar facts um, and circumstances. Uh, typically, what we find uh, is that uh, concealed weapons permit holders are typically very responsible, law-abiding citizens. We have right. very little difficulty with concealed weapons permit holders. So on a traffic stop, if um, one of our deputies pulls uh, someone over, um, they've introduced themselves as a law enforcement officer. And when they ask for their driver's license or identification, that triggers the obligation on the part of this concealed weapons permit holder to disclose that they are a permit holder and that they're carrying uh, pursuant to the article. So at that point, um, our deputies will certainly ask, where is the weapon located? Please don't make any movement toward the weapon during our encounter um, and, and we'll be fine. Um, you know, the, the response may be, well, my permit, my um, driver's license is, is in my uh, back pocket and, and my handgun's on my uh, waist at three o'clock uh, position. I'll have to go toward it to, to get my license or my CWP. Then we'll try to work around that. Uh, we'll mm -hmm. get their name, date of birth. We'll run it over the radio. Uh, maybe they don't even have to uh, go to the wallet to get that. Or they may say that, well, my, uh, my gun is in the glove box and that's where my registration is located. Okay, we'll run your tag uh, over the radio and, and we won't even have to go toward the gun. So our policy is the less gun handling on a traffic stop, the better. Right. Um, and quite frankly, there's no reason for us to want to see the weapon, to inspect the weapon, as long as there's nothing uh, that indicates that there's uh, additional criminal activity. It's, you know, it's, it's possible that um, we could uh, ask the person to step out of the vehicle if the, if the gun is uh, inside the vehicle in several other places where a CWP holder or non-CWP holder could actually have the weapon inside the vehicle, but um, we rarely would uh, want to have the weapon handled uh, during the traffic stop. Gotcha. Gotcha. Kathy, y'all kind of doing the same thing? What we do, and I've seen, I've seen all of those um, scenarios happen. Um, as Mike said, we, it's been our experience that CWP holders are generally uh, very proactive about announcing that, that fact, sometimes even before the law enforcement officer asks for identification, and they will, they will volunteer immediately. Um, you know, I have a weapon in the, in the glove compartment, or, or I have it in a, a, a shoulder holster under my jacket or, or something. So, and, and we follow the same really common sense measures that, that Mike sort of described. Um, and we've done that in the past. I think, you know, one of the instances where it could change in the future um, is not so much if someone, say, has a, a weapon holstered, but the wording of the um, CWP amendments or the wording 
think of the statutory amendments regarding carrying a gun in a car under the open carry allows that person to carry the gun on or about his person right. Um, right. you know as well as under the seat or in an open console or things like that well on or about his person could well mean in his lap while he's driving a car that you know could be a little scarier but by the same token if we've approached the car and someone is sitting there with their hands you know at 10 and 2 on the, the steering wheel uh, and they've got a, a gun in their lap that's immediately visible they're probably not intending anything any anything bad but in that situation um you know we might want to at least remove the gun from from his lap for the duration of the traffic stop that way Having it in the lab is one that kind of concerns concerns me, although I don't think there would be anything at all illegal about it so long as it was a CW coup holder. Right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we're looking for uh, officer safety. We're looking for citizen safety. And it, again, just common sense needs to prevail. And, and again, most of these people that are uh, CWP holders, I'm one. Most of these folks uh are not getting this permit with the intent to break the law or do anything else. They want to be law-abiding citizens. They want to continue to do that. Um, so, I, I, you know, one would reasonably believe they're going to do the right thing. But, uh, you know, mistakes happen all the time. But um, so, so kind of moving on to another one of the uh, elements of the new statute, uh, there, is, there is the ability that allows uh, local governing bodies to uh, restrict the otherwise lawful open carrying of a firearm. And, and I'm going to read real quickly, as, as difficult as it is, uh, this section, and then we'll kind of dive into it. It says, Section 2331.520 says, Notwithstanding another provision of law, a governing body of a county, municipality, or political subdivision may temporarily restrict the otherwise lawful open carrying of a firearm on public property when a governing body issues a permit to a to allow a public protest, rally, fair, parade, festival, or other organized event. However, if a permit is not applied for and issued prior to an event as described in the subsection, a county, municipality, or political subdivision may not exercise the provisions of this subsection. A person or entity hosting a public protest, rally, fair, parade, festival, or other organized event must post signs at the event when open carrying is allowed or not allowed at the event. Uh, and it goes on from there, but I kind of want to touch with both of y'all. What, what are your counties doing about this? Did you have a permit process in place to do a, a, um, a rally, a, a protest, uh, you know, any of those types of things, or, or are you getting one now? Uh, Mike, Kathy, either one of you jump in there if you'd like to be first. Um, I, I think that the county has some permitting process in place for some type of, event, of events. I'm not real sure. Um, I haven't seen any flurry of activity by the county council to uh, start rushing to enact um, permitting ordinances. Um, with respect specifically to the to the um, open carry with training act, I actually find this to be one of the most interesting pieces of the legislation. Um, 
because to me, it, it kind of is a reminder from the legislature to the local governments that look um, local governments, we're going to allow you some specific, uh, very narrow ability to do some temporary restrictions regarding the carrying of weapons. But this is a reminder to you that unless we specifically tell you what you can do, you can't do anything. Right. Um, so I, I just thought to me personally, this was one of the more interesting parts of the legislation. I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen any flurry of activity by the county council here um, to enact or strengthen any permitting requirements that they have. So. Gotcha. Yeah, I know immediately after the, the statute passed, uh, there were several counties that were kind of moving in that direction of setting something up. And I think even the Association of Counties was helping to maybe come up with some model language uh, that could be implemented. Uh, but I, I don't I don't know what's happened with that since then. So that'll certainly be something we can follow up with. And for our listeners, you may want to check and see if anything's changed as far as the permit process goes in your county. Um, I, I know a lot of these, uh, are, this section kind of came from the request of a lot of these places that experienced a lot of the protest over the last year. Um, we look at somewhere like Charleston, and certainly it could have been a lot worse uh, situation down there if people were openly carrying firearms, whether that was lawful or not. But, um, you know, the, the intent was to try to, uh, to put public safety first uh, and allow some of that stuff to, to have, um, you know, some again, some common sense come forward. Even in places like North Carolina, there are uh, statutes on the books like uh, carrying to the terror of others, and they, they prohibit uh, open carrying and parades and festivals and those kind of things as well. So, uh, again, kind of look into what some of the other states have done. Um, I, I kind of want to underscore one point. Um, we've talked a lot about training for law enforcement. We talked a lot about the nine-minute video, but, but again, this is going to be way more than a nine-minute video. Uh, we're we're going to continue to have to have legal updates. We're going to continue to have to have discussions going forward on different things that are happening. Uh, we're going to have to have a lot of those things in place. So, you know, training will continue. The Sheriff's Association, others are going to be offering that training again for our telecommunicator officers, a lot of those other folks. But Mike, you, you have helped us with some of the training that we've done already in the past about First and Second Amendment audits. Uh, tell us a little bit about what a Second Amendment audit is, and do you think we may see a few more of those coming up? Yeah, I, I really do think uh, we're going to see an increase in certainly the Second Amendment audits. Everyone's familiar with the uh, First Amendment audits where someone stands in front of a public building or a sensitive security location with a video camera or cell phone camera recording uh, people coming in and out and uh, the unease that that creates uh, with some folks. Um, and, um, you know, the desire on the part of most of these second, uh, First Amendment auditors is to uh, catch law enforcement or other public officials in an overreaction um, that uh, violates someone's First Amendment rights to be in a public place and film public officials performing public functions in public places. So um, that's just uh, the courts have been very clear that that uh, to restrict that um, is uh, a violation of First Amendment rights. Likewise, 
there are those who will press the envelope on Second Amendment as well. We've seen this in not so much in our area, but in other parts of the country where folks will carry a, um, um, an AR-15 or a, a long rifle uh, slung over their shoulder um, in a public place near a public park in front of the courthouse, but not on the courthouse premises. In other words, it, they'll, they'll brush right up to the line of where uh, a violation might actually appear and law enforcement will come and, and potentially overreact. Uh, most of it's by citizen complaints calling for law enforcement to intervene and check out something. And, and so um, these uh, auditors will, you know, they'll use profanity, they'll, they'll uh, try to goad or, or um, uh, provoke the law enforcement officer into an overreaction asking for an ID uh, when there's no probable cause or reasonable suspicion mm -hmm. or that type of thing. So and then they'll post these um, horrible looking videos up on uh, YouTube uh, yeah. for everyone to see. So it's I expect that there may be a, a flurry uh, of uh, Second Amendment audits uh, in the near future. So, you know, law enforcement is just going to have to understand what the law is what our limitations are and uh, and react accordingly. I, you know, the Second Amendment is a cherished American right, uh, especially among uh, certain groups of individuals, law enforcement included, myself included. Um, so um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this uh, develops down the road. I agree with you that depending on how this goes, um, the legislature may come and revisit this. Uh, if it doesn't go well, maybe the some restrictions may be placed. If it goes well, maybe they'll say, okay, well, we can uh, we can move forward with the next level. Yeah. We'll just have to see. Yeah, a lot will be determined in the coming months for sure. All right, so one other feature that is included in this is the uh, application fee uh, was actually taken away. Um, you know, there was the argument that you should not have to pay for a constitutional right. Um, you know, I think some people would argue back and say that uh, that is actually the, the cost to do business. Uh, that is the cost to do the federal background check and a lot of other things. But uh, nevertheless, the General Assembly waived that. They have taken away the $50 application fee. So uh, that is no longer there. You may see uh, a lot more people uh, pursuing their CWP uh, with that fee no longer there. Uh, of course, you still have to go through the training. You still have to go through all the other requirements that are that are part of the CWP statute. But uh but that is that is gone there as well. Uh, there are a lot of other uh, provisions in this statute. A lot of the reporting provisions, um, you know, reporting um, uh, certain offenses uh, to uh, SLED and getting a lot of those things coming back into uh, the NIC system, having those properly reported and going through the proper channels there. So uh, really, uh, it, it is a good statute. But uh, as Mike was just saying, it'll it'll. Uh, prove itself out in the coming months to see how it goes. And, and a lot of people kind of speculate that you may see a lot of open carrying in the first couple of months, but it may uh, kind of pan out in the, in the months following after that. So um, Mike, Kathy, do y'all want to touch on anything else uh, firearms or gun related? Uh, I know we do have a new fourth circuit court of appeals case 
uh, that that people are keeping an eye out on. Uh, anybody want to touch on that one, or you want to leave that one alone? Jared, if I could circle back to this um, uh, provision in the new act, which allows municipalities and local yeah. government to uh, uh, restrict certain firearms carry uh, during a permitted event. Sure. Um, I've been in communication with some city attorneys um, that have struggled with this. And, you know, the statute actually says um, that they can um, uh, temporarily prohibit the open carrying of firearms. Well, that the term firearms is broader than handgun mm, and or concealable weapon. Uh, so that would mean not only open carrying of um, a handgun, but also rifles and long guns. Um, and nothing in that statute uh, allows the um, municipality that I've been able to determine to restrict concealed carry during those permitted events. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how all that um, works out. I, I also had a discussion with a, a city attorney uh, yesterday uh, when they were considering their ordinance on, on how to do this. And um, our discussion uh, included that the, these municipalities and local governing bodies need to be careful about an absolute blanket um, prohibition of open carrying during any event. Right. Um, I think if they, um, if they are overbroad or too heavy handed with the, this restriction on every single event, um, they may find themselves uh, having uh, some legal issues uh, with that. And uh, so I, I see that as a potential uh, fertile field for some, some other litigation. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right there. And that's, that's an interesting point. Uh, we, we often find ourselves dealing with the distinction between handguns and firearms and, and uh, different pieces of legislation as we're working through things down there. And um, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it's there now and that's the statute. So uh, I, I guess we'll see how that plays itself out. Um, Kathy, you got anything else you want to add on the, on the gun stuff or just the, that fourth circuit case or anything else? The, the fourth circuit case will be an interesting to watch, an interesting one to watch to see how it plays out. Of course, you and Mike and I had discussed this a little earlier. Right. South Carolina allowing uh, 18 year olds to possess and, and to purchase and to even and, and to be the recipients of gifts of handguns uh, has long been the law. Um, the only thing that an 18 year old can't do with respect to a firearm in South Carolina purchase it from a a federally um, licensed firearm dealer um, that fourth circuit case uh, dealt just with that um, the fourth circuit having just what about 10 days ago announced that um, the 21 year old limitation on being able to purchase from a federal uh, an ffl dealer um, is unconstitutional and that 18 should be the the age. Um, that's going to be an interesting case to watch. So I don't think the Department of Justice has made any decision yet as to what they're going to do. Um, right. That will be an interesting one to watch. 
Yeah, that uh, Jared on on that case, it was uh, interesting to me that they decided the case on a straight up fourth um, uh, second amendment um, uh, analysis. They didn't go fourteenth amendment due process equal protection. They went straight to the second amendment hmm. and um, basically said uh, it is uh, the majority said you know they find it ironic that. Um, the same 18 to 20 year olds that can serve in our military and be trusted with some of the most sophisticated weaponry known to man um, cannot be trusted to purchase a handgun for protection in their home. Hmm. And uh, as historically, 18 year olds at the time of the uh, signing of the uh, Constitution were required to serve in the militia. Right. Um, they said we are not going to re read 18 to 20 year olds out of the uh, definition of the people in the in the Second Amendment. Right. So um, interesting. It sets up um, very well if the uh, decision holds in the Fourth Circuit, if, if they go for an en banc hearing, if it comes out of an en banc hearing in in the same uh, condition that it is now, it, it sets up perfectly for um, the Supreme Court to uh, weigh in on this. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, and, and again, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you, I've been getting calls from sheriffs and other law enforcement folks saying, you know, what does this mean for South Carolina uh, law enforcement? I, I guess at this point, the answer is not a whole lot. We got to wait and see. Um, it only affects um, federally licensed firearms dealers. Okay. 18-year-olds uh, in South Carolina can still possess, inherit, be given, or purchase a handgun from a private individual. They simply can't purchase one from a federally licensed firearms dealer. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, we uh, have been having a great conversation today about our, our new CWP statute, our new open carry with training law. Again, that goes into effect August the 15th. Um, sheriff's agency heads out there, I, I would encourage you to uh, engage the public in this. Again, it's it's not a huge uh, shift when it comes to a law enforcement uh, perspective, but it is a huge cultural shift. Uh, I think our communities are going to be a little bit um uh, I guess, set back to see some people carrying firearms openly. Uh, and, and that's certainly their right, certainly their ability. Uh, we're just going to have to get used to it and, and endure this for the next couple months. But uh, training, 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 make sure that your, your deputies are getting the training, make sure they have that nine minute video, but also make sure that they're going above and beyond getting the legal updates, understanding the law fully. I, I do expect that we're going to have more Second Amendment audits, First Amendment audits, uh, so, so prepare yourselves from that standpoint as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, as we've said on here time and time again, a lot of this stuff is common sense um, for the individual carrying the weapon. Uh, you have a right to protect yourself and you should use common sense. And the officer has a right to protect themselves and they should use common sense. So, uh, you know, common sense isn't so common anymore, but uh, maybe it should be, especially in these scenarios. But uh, Mike, Kathy, I want to thank both of you again. I, again, I lean on you all the time, um, and I, I really appreciate you for joining this episode of Mutual Aid. Uh, Sheriffs, if you have any questions on anything we discussed today, please don't hesitate to reach out to me or Mike or Kathy. Um, I know uh, their sheriffs don't mind at all. 
uh, talking about the things that they're doing. Again, when, when one of us benefits, all of us benefits in sharing that information. So I'll say it one more time uh, because I'm kind of getting the look from the attorneys. Again, this information should not be considered legal advice and you should consult an attorney before implementing similar changes in your own agencies. Uh, Mike, Kathy, again, thank you all so much and thank you for joining us for this edition of Mutual Aid. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mutual Aid, a podcast produced by the South Carolina Sheriff's Association to help sheriffs better serve and protect South Carolina citizens. For more information on today's discussion or to discover more about the South Carolina Sheriff's Association, please visit our website at www.sheriffsc.com. We thank you for your continued support and hope you will join us next month for a new episode of Mutual Aid. Now, please stand by for a word from our sponsor. Again, this episode of Mutual Aid has been brought to you by our friends at Gunbusters Southeast. Matt Gwynn and the folks at Gunbusters have been working with South Carolina Sheriff's Association for several years now and are always dependable. To learn more about Gunbusters Southeast, visit www.gunbustersusa.com or call Mac at 1-844-486-2878. Many thanks to Max and Gunbusters Southeast for the continued support of South Carolina Sheriffs.